0: And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mine. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression, and this podcast aims to share it all from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome to another episode of Mom in Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. I appreciate that you are showing up here today to learn and listen to another story, personal experience, through really difficult pregnancy and postpartum times. For those of you who have been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that there are so many ways in which mental health conditions impact the reproductive journey through fertility, through pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, and beyond if left untreated or unchecked or unsupported. And that is also true for pregnancy loss. Uh, at any time of pregnancy and our guest today Megan Mons is sharing with us her story of recurrent miscarriage mental health challenges during pregnancy and postpartum as well as self-advocacy and empowerment during pregnancy and postpartum Megan fills many roles but most important to her is her role as a mother to her two small children ages five and three Megan is a highly sensitive person who works as a mental health therapist for children, adults, and families. She has a passion for working with children and adults with complex trauma histories. And Megan has her own lived experience with anxiety, depression, and trauma. She has lived through recurrent miscarriages and hopes that her story will validate and empower others experiencing their own journey and challenges with parenthood. And again, those of you who listen to this podcast know how empowering it is to know that you're not alone and to hear stories from other people who have really been through it. And each person's journey, while there might be some similarities that connect us all, that's also very unique to that person and their life experience and their history and their current life context. And each time we hear somebody's story, we learn a little bit more about how perinatal mental health conditions can affect somebody, but I think we also learn a little bit more about ourselves. If any of you have been through any uh, perinatal mental health condition, you know you can hear a little bit of yourself in most people's stories. It's really, really powerful to be able to relate to each other in this way, and I thank Megan for coming on. So let's welcome Megan. Megan. welcome, Megan. Thanks for being with us.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: I'm really happy that you're coming on to share your experience specifically since you are aware of um, your high sensitivity as a as a person and as a mother. I think it brings a really important depth to understanding um, what goes on for highly sensitive folks in the, the parenting uh, journey and uh, specifically with you know, what you're describing, you know, we talk a lot about high sensitivity here. So yeah, your story is very welcome and I appreciate you for coming. So please do start wherever you're comfortable.
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, every mother's story is unique. As I was reflecting on, you know, the things that I wanted to say or share, one of the things that stuck out for me was I just have this repeated experience of filling out like medical paperwork mm. and the questions are always like, how many pregnancies have you had? And then how many children do you have? Mm-hmm. And my my answer to the pregnancy question is five pregnancies. And my answer to the children question is two. And there's often like some awkward, weird pause when people are reading that. And so uh, that's just one of the like unique experiences that I have that I think well, I know not everybody has. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, what I wanted to share is my experience of having three recurrent miscarriages Mm -hmm. before having two successful births. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll, I'll just tell my story.
0: Yeah.
1: See the, I was married at 29, I believe. And we waited um, a year to start trying, well, to start trying to conceive. And actually it happened pretty easily, pretty quickly. And at the time I was working for child protection, which as you know, is a very high stress, intense job. Yeah, um, But it's also kind of like all I ever knew. I tend to thrive under stress and pressure uh, mm-hmm. and that probably has something to do with my temperament and also maybe some of the things that I've experienced in my life. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. High stress job. I was promoted pretty quickly to a supervisory role, which now in retrospect, I'm like, I don't know if that was a a really good idea for me, but Mm. nonetheless it happened. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so I got pregnant and, you know, went through all the normal things like the the first doctor's appointments and things like that. And then when I went in for my first ultrasound, they found that there was no heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And I, I still remember like all of the details of that. It was not on my radar, you know. Um, you know, we talk about miscarriage and we I feel like try to normalize it, but for Mm -hmm. some reason it was in my mind it was like, oh not me. Mm -hmm. me. Um I'd always wanted to be a mom. Like there was never a question and I was waiting, you know, waiting to get married and couldn't wait to start trying to have kids. And my husband was like a little bit slower to the idea. So um, for me, I mean for him too, but it was it was pretty devastating. And I remember the follow-up appointments to that ultrasound. I remember going in, and the and I remember I had my hood on. I was wearing my sweatshirt. I was all in cozy clothes, and I had my hood on. And I remember the doctor saying, "Like you're handling this very well." And I just was like, "Yeah, I am. I guess." But like, really, on what the does inside, that mean? Really numb. Like I'm yeah. not handling. I'm not handling anything. I'm. I'm just. On autopilot here, you know, um, yes. so that was like my first like recognition of um, just the weird experience and like how alone you feel and, like how can you like it was just confusing to me mm-hmm, how can mm-hmm. you tell me I as well like first of all, is that even a thing I, like right people handle it well, I don't know, not in my experience and not mm-hmm. in the experience of other women I've connected with. So that first one was very intense. I had no idea how to navigate it. I think that my primary coping tools were avoidance. So I was working that full-time job. I was also coaching gymnastics. I was a high school gymnastics coach. And so very much like focused outwardly on all the things except for myself. Uh, And I mean, it was, there was nothing, no complications or anything like that. Um, I guess the only thing that was that I felt was kind of crappy for me was that my body didn't dispel it naturally. So I had mm-hmm. to have medical intervention for that, which mm-hmm. um, was kind of um, challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and so over the next two years, it happened twice again. I feel like with everyone, I was like more prepared and like knew what to expect. And so I was, like, not that it wasn't emotionally painful, it was, um, mm-hmm. but it wasn't as like, jarring, because I'd done it before, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, as I was reflecting on my experience, uh, the topic of trauma has been a pretty significant part of it. So I have some early childhood trauma and you know, one of the key components of that is like feeling helpless and feeling like something is happening to you. Mm-hmm. And it was my experience with miscarriage that it was just like, it was happening to me and there was mm-hmm. nothing to, do to stop it. And that just felt like, I almost, I almost felt like it was like re-traumatizing. In yeah. A
0: way. Yeah. 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 Absolutely.
1: And I mean, of course I was so happy and grateful to eventually be able to have a successful birth. Um, but even in my first birth, those same feelings were there. Yeah. So it was a few years span. I had three recurrent miscarriages. And then finally, I switched jobs and moved into, I was still in a social work role, but it was much less high stress. I was working in a hospital. And while I was there, I was able to conceive again and successfully carry out my pregnancy. And it was wonderful and I'm grateful. And it also was really hard because of my experience with miscarriage. I couldn't really connect to my baby. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I enjoyed the experience of being pregnant. Like, I loved that. I loved how I felt. I was sleeping well, all those things, but um, I didn't have that connection. And so, mm-hmm. I think that for me and my experience, that lack of connection really impacted my birth experience. Right. Um, so, again, it felt like things were happening to me and i feel like part of you know like healthy interpersonal relationships is like consensual and i feel like since i didn't have a connection with this little being like we weren't giving consent for this process happening
0: uh-huh.
1: kind of like abstract but it felt so real yeah so i did okay i mean it was it wasn't part of my plan which now looking back like I don't know that having this like uh, really structured plan was the best thing for me, but I did because I was young and naive. So I ended up being induced, and then that was really intense. Go Sorry, ahead. that,
0: that part of your plan was the induction, or was not the induction? No,
1: that oh, not, okay. No, I wanted this like supernatural uh-huh. birth, and my mom had had three natural births, and so you mm-hmm. know, there's like maybe a little bit of like familiar pressure for that. Yeah. Um, yep. so I thought I wanted that, and that was not it. It was like a lot of medical intervention. I spent so mm. much time at the hospital. I was yeah, induced. I had an epidural. The baby came out just fine. And that was so good, but it it just, it really felt like it was happening to me. Um, it,
0: right. Right.
1: So, and I didn't, you know, I just had this fear that she was going to die like through my whole pregnancy. And I know mm-hmm. that's like intense. And when I say that to people, they're like, "Whoa!" but it was so real for me. And like, until she was in my hands, like yes. I, I thought she was going to be taken from me.
0: Yeah, and that's understandable given what you had already been through. It's hard to sort of get over the hump of imagining that actually getting the baby that you want when you've had that experience three times already that they'd been taken from you.
1: Yeah, and it almost felt like to not prepare for that would be like emotionally irresponsible.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? Like, mm-hmm. I
1: had to prepare for the worst because I had experienced that a few times. I was very hypervigilant through that first pregnancy. Like now looking back on the things that I was worried about, I have Mm -hmm. a little bit of like embarrassment. Um, Mm -hmm. So for example, my daughter, her name's Georgia. She had the hiccups all the time Mm
0: -hmm.
1: in utero. And like, I thought that that was like, I thought that was something bad. And I remember Mm -hmm. calling the doctor being like, she has the hiccups again. And the person on the other side of the, on the other line was like, you know, like, fetuses get hiccups. And I'm like, oh, okay. This is really like an anxiety response that I'm having, but nobody's like naming that.
0: This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted? The Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brain Child comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H or math in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with
2: your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why?
0: point was it clear to you or did, did it feel like anxiety to you or did it do you know what i mean like was do you did you have an awareness at the time that it was anxiety or or no not really I feel
1: like later into the pregnancy i did and that that mm-hmm. was um, kind of far along but i don't think i realized it early on which is a little bit strange because i tend to be an anxious person, but I always felt that like pregnancy and motherhood was this thing that I was going to like be able to naturally do. And so I, I guess maybe I felt like untouchable in that area, but mm. that wasn't the case. Mm. Yeah. So, and then even after I had Georgia, I like those feelings were were still there. I mean, I remember um, having some really intense conversations with my husband. Like my expectation was that one of us was like up all the time with her, because I felt like if we weren't there caring for her, something bad was going to happen. Um, yeah, and it was just unrealistic, you know, parents have to sleep. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. But it, um, maybe to your point, like it doesn't necessarily feel unrealistic. It feels like a real worry that yeah. everybody should be attending to.
1: Mm -hmm. And then also I had had that background in child protection and, you know, as they should be, they're very fear-based and there's a lot of conversation about infant death. And so, you know, I, I think I brought that element too, which my husband did not have. And so there was, you know, there was tension there after Georgia was born. I mean, the emotions are, you know, strong. Um, I think I had guilt for not connecting with her worries about how that was going to impact her in the long run you know mm-hmm. I listen to all these podcasts and read these books and talk you know they talk about like maternal stress and pregnancy and the impact mm-hmm. of all that so mm-hmm. all of that it was just running through my mind so she was so adorable and I loved mm-hmm. her so much and I'm so glad um that we were able to connect because not having a connection during all of that would have been really intense
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, right, already kind of feeling that disconnection during pregnancy is hard enough. Well, right. So any any time where you don't feel the connection is hard. But to your to your point and your experience that you described earlier, that like sort of consent thing in terms of like babies. They have one way of telling you something and that's crying (laughs) when they're little. So it's, and it's hard to, to like decipher and differentiate what that is. But if you have a connection that feels a lot better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's felt safety, you know, Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Mm
1: -hmm. I didn't have that until after she was born and that's okay. I mean, it turned out fine. She's thriving, Mm -hmm. Um, but it was really intense. And And again, I think that, um, my earlier experience of trauma and maybe I don't want to say I I hadn't done the work because I've been in therapy for a long time, but like the work wasn't yet to the trauma work. My work wasn't yet to a point where it was resolved enough for it to not be re-traumatizing.
0: Right, right, right.
1: So I continued to do work. Um, I saw a therapist. I brought Georgia to um, my therapist with me after she was born and I continued to do work and two years after, well, I had my son when Georgia was exactly 23 months. Mm-hmm. So I feel like because I had the opportunity to parent her and like that postpartum period, I felt like like I could do it and it was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I pregnancy just didn't feel like that for me. But so I was able to show up as a parent and like meet her needs and be with her and create that connection and all those mm-hmm. things that I wanted to do. And that felt really good. And so I feel like because I was able to do that, I was also able to continue doing this like therapeutic work myself. I've oh, got and it so going into my pregnancy with my son. I just felt so much more whole, mm. more healthy, more understanding of all the things that I had experienced and much more willing, I would say, to like assert myself and Mm -hmm. come at pregnancy and birth and postpartum from a place of empowerment rather than feeling really unseen and confused and disoriented, quite frankly.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So that was a a really good experience.
0: Yeah, that's, um, it sounds very different than pregnancy with your daughter versus um, pregnancy with your son. Um, or did do you, were you able to feel connection during pregnancy?
1: I was. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's great that you were able to have um, a second go at it where you did, could feel the things that you had wanted to feel. And um, yeah, I don't know how it, it impacted you to have those two different sets of feelings. Like uh, for instance, sometimes people feel like, oh, I wish I could have had this with my daughter too. Or um, even sometimes guilt or uh, all kinds of feelings can come up when they when they don't feel like they were the same. Um, yeah, definitely.
1: I mean, my kids are pretty close in age. And so there's already this, I don't know, awareness you have of like making sure that you're connected with both of them and you're not mm-hmm. favoring one and there, there's not competition. And I think that complexity um, is just is part of my experience. And, you know, I, I do look at my pregnancy with my daughter and wish that maybe it had gone different, but also... I learned so much and I just have a lot of compassion for my former self, you know, and we did it, you know, we, we got through it. So I don't know. I'm not like a person who really like has a lot of regrets because it's just life and you get through it. Um, But I think compassion is kind of where, where I go.
0: That's awesome. I'm so glad. And I'm glad you're bringing that into, because, you know, some people do struggle with, Wishing things had gone differently, but there is some amount of acceptance that it sounds like you're you've become comfortable with and uh, or worked on, anyways to to be able to get to that point that it it was what it was for that pregnancy. Um, so for your uh, the pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with your son, what are some other ways that it felt different to you um, as opposed to your daughter's experience?
1: Yeah. So the experience with my daughter was a little bit complex. I don't want to undermine um, the medical professionals because I do trust them and appreciate them. I also wonder um, whether my level of anxiety and stress around pregnancy influenced some of the care decisions specifically to be induced um, because I hadn't even yet made it to my due date. And the reasoning given for the induction was that she was um, small and she was, I mean, she was six, four when she was born, which I mean, that's small, but not like compared to, you know, I mean, there's much smaller babies that are born that are totally safe. And so I, I can never like say that, that that was the wrong decision, right? Cause she came out healthy, but I just wonder if, my level of anxiety like influenced that at all because mm. I had all the worries like her hiccups and mm-hmm. whatever, all the other things. And so when I had my son, um, like I said, I was feeling uh, much more empowered, certainly less anxious, more connected already with this baby. And I went into labor on my own and I was mm-hmm. able to um, labor mostly at home. He was born without a lot of intervention and, it just felt so much more peaceful, and I get, yeah, that's how I would describe it. Mm-hmm. Just peaceful, and like it was me and him, and it was about this connection, and it was really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas my daughter's, it was it was raw and intense.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: And I say in the postpartum period too, again, like I trusted myself. I had, we had had this successful birth. Um, It felt really good. I didn't feel like it happened to me. I felt like I was like, I I consented to participation. right? And so in postpartum, I felt like I was able to make decisions based on my own motherly intuition versus Mm -hmm. kind of, I don't want to say people pleasing, but like, putting the decisions in the hands of the people around me. And one example of that is I think all hospitals probably offer the breastfeeding services, mm-hmm. um, support to, to new mothers, but I really needed to just focus on my connection with my baby and like learn him and let him learn, learn me. Um, and I felt that those services actually was like a s- stressful and a mm-hmm. distraction to my experience. And so I declined that I did it once. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, th-, like, thank you. And no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that felt good. Like, I like I got this. And I'll reach out if I don't, you right, know? Right. So, yeah, just felt much more empowered and much more um, based on my needs and our connection and what I mm-hmm. knew was healthy for
0: us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That does give you a whole lot more space to think, um, right? I mean, it, it, it can be hard to know what you need and what you don't need with the first sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. But just that idea that you can say no or no, not right now. It's hard to know that when it's your first time experience, or if somebody didn't explicitly tell you that you can do that or or anything. But it that's so important to be able to to like you're saying, going back to consent. Sometimes people just come in and do what they think needs to be done, but um, when you can say no, thank you. Uh, It gives you a lot more space to, yeah, to figure things out um, how you want to. It's really powerful. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you had that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So these, I mean, right, you were able to kind of learn a lot from your previous experience and take that into the pregnancy, birth, postpartum with your son. And it doesn't sound, from what I heard anyways, it doesn't sound like you experienced the same kind of um, angst or anxiety? No, no. I mean, yeah. I
1: think the typical physiological changes, like I was aware of those. We've talked about high sensitivity. Um, I'm very aware of my body and changes in it, but it wasn't, it wasn't sending me into like a stress response. It was like, Oh, oh I know what this is. Like, this is normal. Mm. Or, you know, maybe you use a coping strategy or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. So right going going back to the first pregnancy then um was it was it harder to differentiate than like an anxious response versus a high sensitivity?
1: Yeah, I think that most things were landing for me as a threat. Yeah so I am very sensitive by nature um notice things and that's not a bad thing I I love being sensitive but when you're sensitive and you're feeling super anxious or you're having like a trauma response um it can be really intense because every little thing lands as dangerous for your mm-hmm. system um and i i would say that the people around me didn't didn't catch that
0: um like um providers or family members or everyone
1: yeah providers well and also um i think that uh, there are some of us who are really good at like portraying that we're okay when Mm -hmm. really maybe we're not. Um, Mm -hmm. And I didn't know with the pregnancy thing, I didn't know any other experience, right? So Mm -hmm. I I kind of just was like, well, I guess for somebody who's had a miscarriage, I guess this is just what pregnancy is. But since I've had those experiences, I have talked to other women and um, maybe their miscarriage was like, maybe the impact of their miscarriage was like sad and grief, but it wasn't necessarily this like, Super heightened stress response,
0: if that makes sense. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I that that part where it feels like, oh, this must be how everybody feels. It's so easy to feel that way, a- and at the same time, to I don't know if you experienced this, but like, uh, like feeling alone at the same time. Um, it's a it's a weird. Uh, I don't know the word for it, not dichotomy, but it's, it's a weird set of feelings to have where you, it's almost like a discounting can feel like in some ways of your own experience, like, well, this just must be how it is. Um, And so I have to deal with it. And so I can't talk about it or tell anyone.
1: Yeah. Just suck it up. You know? And for me, it's like, you've always been the strong one. Like this is no difference. Mm -hmm. You just, Mm -hmm. are different. You just need to put one foot in front of the other and like keep going um and mm-hmm. so I did and then the other the other complexity I would say of being um a highly sensitive person is that I'm very sensitive and in tune to other people's emotions and mm-hmm. like I'm a caretaker by nature and by profession right mm-hmm. and so I think that I have like I've done a lot of work around this but maybe this like habitual response to caretake others mm-hmm. um and when you experience you know, recurrent miscarriage. Like naturally, people have feelings about that, and what I could feel coming from people was a whole lot of pity, and I really struggled Whoa. with that. Like, yeah, I did. Like, I didn't yeah. have to do with that. Like, it was so intense, and I, I would just feel like I'm like, okay, I'm the one suffering here, but you are suffering too because you have your own feelings about what this would be like, and I totally get that. But I can't. Like, my then ha- habitual behavior would be to abandon myself and like try to take care of this other person, you know, that Mm -hmm. was like, support me. And that didn't feel safe or like it, like it was working for me. So then I just was like, well, I'll just kind of stay to myself. (laughs) Rather Mm -hmm. than feeling all of that. So I just like kept things to myself as much as I could.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. And then it sounds like there's a bit of um, overlap between, as you were saying, some like trauma that you were trying to to work through, and also some some parts of sensitivity mm-hmm. kind of intermingling there. It's really hard to know uh, what's what and yeah. how to attend to it when it just feels all of it overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, were there other ways that you recognize now, anyways, um, about how uh, the high sensitivity impacted you in either either your the pregnancy with your daughter? Um, or with your son, pregnancy, birth, and postpartum?
1: I mean, obviously the the emotional experience is just really intense, N- not just the negative experience, but like the positive too, like, oh my gosh, I just, it was all so deep for me. And I think one element that, I don't know if this is my highest sensitivity per se, or just because of my experience with the recurrent miscarriage, but like, I really understand the, like the blessing it is to like be able to parent you know, mm-hmm. like, at, like every milestone, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I get to do this. Like, I'm so lucky. Cause I almost, I almost wasn't able to, you know? And mm-hmm. so sometimes mm-hmm. little things can feel really overwhelming to me, like in a good way, but mm-hmm. some of my friends are like, okay, girl, like she just, like, <laughs> whatever she just did, like, she just ate out of a, I don't know. She just, what would be an example of that? Like she just picked out her own outfit, like not that big of a deal. And I'm like, I, but it is. it, it is. is, And then I think the other piece of high sensitivity is like, um, sensory wise, I'm very sensitive. And so that first birth where there was all this like intervention and chaos and Mm -hmm. stimulation, like that just, that that wasn't good for my system. The lights were too bright. The people were touching me. The metal stuff was cold. Like it just was too much. Um, And so with my second pregnancy, I was able to say like, I want the lights off. I don't want you in my room. Mm-hmm. Talk to me. Mm-hmm. One funny one funny thing that happened with my first pregnancy is that my husband was in there and it was the middle of the night, and he opened a can of Red Bull next to me. And I, he said that he's never seen me look at him like that. Like, <laughs> like you get that and that smell out of my room. So another thing, like he knew, like don't be bringing in any like Red Bull or anything. Right, like, right. Smell like I need everything like peaceful and like I need you mm-hmm. to leave me alone. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's right. It's so nice to be able to, to manage your environment. And I would say that's another thing that people aren't totally aware that they can do or ask for. S- like simple things like turning down the lights or off the lights. Mm-hmm. That's it can That plus other things could really make a difference. Um, yeah. I mean,
1: and asking for minimal, just like minimal contact. Like I my birth experience was that I had to get in this sort of like mental zone or mental state. And like, so any interruption, it just made it harder, you know? So I'm like, Mm -hmm. unless there's something dangerous happening, like, of course, please interrupt my mental state, but otherwise like, please let me, you know, go through my process. And I mean, little things too, just, like you can be sensitive and things can be really hard for you but i feel like part of high sensitivity is that like small things also make a really big difference so like i wore my own robe instead of wearing that hospital gown mm-hmm. you know and it's like little things like that were really impactful so yeah,
0: yeah absolutely uh, so it sounds like there there are some other um, things we could talk about for sure about empowerment and i'd like to get back to that in just a moment but First, um, considering the whole of your experience of like the, your reproductive experience that you shared from the miscarriage through birth and postpartum, what are some of the things that you really want people to know about in terms of mental health and getting the support that you need?
1: Yeah, well, I think I think the element of um, earlier trauma is really important to consider. And I think um, many of us, when we're in our reproductive years, haven't, we haven't done all of the work. And so what I would say is like, I I just wasn't as, I wasn't aware of how deep and like, like the threat of trauma and um, the impact of that in, in pregnancy, miscarriage, of course, birth, postpartum, like it was so real and there was no conversation about it. And I think that you know, we talked about feeling isolated. Like I just felt, I did, I felt I was, I was surrounded by people, but really isolated with that piece of it and without language, um, mm-hmm. until I started, um, really diving into that deeper with my own therapist. So yeah, just considering your unique history and like how that, how the impact of that might show up in the whole, um, yeah, pregnancy, birth and postpartum experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say if you have the means maybe establishing a therapeutic relationship prior to all of that so that you can at least begin to ask some questions about how, um, yeah. how you might've been impacted. Yeah. And then the other piece is that, especially for people who've experienced like early childhood trauma, I think a lot of us go into this place of like hyper independence. Like I got this mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, I can get through anything, and part of that, I think sometimes is putting on a, this face that like you, like you're high functioning and you can do it and you don't need anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of the response, but that's not necessarily the truth. That's the coping mechanism, you know? Right. And so what I would say is if you're a person, a provider, a partner, a family member, a friend of somebody who's experiencing, um, or going through the process of conception or has experienced a miscarriage or is in pregnancy or um, you know, about to give birth, just somehow letting them know that that maybe that they don't have to be as strong as they think that they need to be, or just acknowledging that, like, wow, you know, like you're going through this big thing and you're still showing up for work, like that's that's noteworthy, right? Like they might, yeah. they might- Feel safe to to let that um, coping mechanism go because it's like help them, but mm-hmm. I think at least acknowledging it can
0: um, I don't know be impactful. Yeah, yeah, yep, absolutely.
4: and I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions
0: that help us function a little bit better. And when you were saying that, it reminded me of what the that an initial provider said to you about like you're dealing with this really well or you're coping with this really well like it is hard to know if how somebody feels it might look like you were saying on the outside one thing but oh there's so much happening internally and it's really and I, I'm not saying this was your experience but I know from other folks that I've talked to is that sometimes when you hear a comment, like you're handling this well, it can make you feel like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to be handling this. Mm-hmm. And then anything that feels different than that can feel terrible. So it's, it's like very important to not make that assumption um, about how somebody's doing, because you yeah. just don't know from the outside.
1: And also I would say like, if you're a support person, like be prepared and accept Mm -hmm. that you might do it wrong and that's okay. You Mm -hmm. know, because like, Mm -hmm. like somebody could have said the perfect thing to me, but I was in a, I was in a place, you know, Mm -hmm. and so I may have rejected them, but that doesn't mean that like a year down the line, I might look at that experience and be like, oh, like they were there for me, even though Mm -hmm. I was in this really dark place or whatever.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so not to like, is it okay to move into the empowerment piece?
0: Oh yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Um, because it's on the topic of what you said about not making assumptions and how sometimes like when you do receive that that feedback, you kind of get this impression that like, it should be done this certain way. Like you should feel it this way. And one of the, I actually took notes on some of the things that I would hope for other women. And one of those is it came, have you ever heard of the book, um, Wild Power?
0: No, I haven't.
1: It's, so it's called Wild Power. Discover the magic of your menstrual cycle and awaken the feminine path to power. And um, it's a book on on menstrual cycle awareness. And mm. it's really—I read it actually when I was pregnant with my daughter. But one of their key points in this book is something that they call the Big Red Rule, mm. and they say that your experience trumps anything that they might say. Mm-hmm. And I just think that it's so important to acknowledge that, like, you know. The doc, the provider, or your partner might think that it should be this certain way. I mean, mm. someone might say like, "Well, at least you know you could get pregnant," and it's like, mm. "So, like, my experience is my experience, regardless of whether you understand it, and that is totally okay."
0: Yeah, yeah, oh, that's really powerful. Hard to do, but very um, <laughs> sometimes hard to do, but ooh, that's a super important one. Um, yeah,
1: well, I think for me, um after my first, well, after the miscarriages, when I was pregnant, I was, I was having a conversation with my provider and letting her know that I I feel, or I felt that like that high stress environment that I was working in when I was working for child protection, probably impacted my ability to carry a successful pregnancy. And I remember her telling me like, there's no research to show that stress like impacts pregnancy or something. And I just was like, okay, Mm. like, but there's my experience, and who, yeah. who, who are you research on? You know, like, and also, uh, but there is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, that was uh, yeah. not helpful feedback, but it just, was no. just one of the moments where I was like, okay,
0: uh-huh. yeah,
1: we'll not helpful. We'll share my personal experience here because research does, supposedly
0: doesn't support my
1: experience.
0: Right, and like as it's that's a tough one, as if there's research on everything.
1: Yeah. Exactly. It's like, mm-hmm. well, you don't have a research on my, you don't have research on my body and my experience and my personal, yeah. Mm-hmm. history. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So that's one thing is the big red rule. Your yeah. Experience, anything that anybody else, any feedback that anyone's giving you or their experience, their experiences, that's great for them, but that doesn't have to be your experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great. Yeah. Thank you for that one.
1: Yeah. So in addition to the big red rule, um, another couple of things that I, would offer to people. one of them is this is on the topic of being highly sensitive, is that it's totally okay if your needs and preferences don't make sense to anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that they're actually, at least in my experience, there actually was a lot of space for me to be able to communicate those and to ask for things. um it's not all those options aren't always offered on like the front end, but but I would say that, in the instances where I was able to ask for what I need, like, for the most part, people wanted to accommodate those,
2: you know? Nice.
0: That can be uh, hard, especially like you're saying, if it doesn't, if you're not sure if it'll make sense to somebody else that, that it'll be, will be received. Well, I mean, can, I feel like it can make it hard to even put it out there. Yeah, And
1: I mean, one of the strategies that I use was just to call that out at the beginning. Like, I'd be like, I know this sounds weird, or I know this might not make sense to you, but I need X, Y, and Z.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, And for some reason, kind of when it seems like when you acknowledge it at the very beginning, people are like, oh, okay.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, that's such a great tool. It really is. Because it, it dispels any kind of like confusion that they might have. And also probably prevents from a lot of like, well, why do you need that? And
1: <laughs> yeah, it well, just I, think doesn't... It takes, I think it takes the burden off of them to, mm-hmm. to feel like they have to figure. like you don't have to
0: figure yeah. it out. Yeah. You already so, figured it out.
1: Yeah. I did that work, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. So that, so just knowing that, um, yeah, your needs and preferences and the things that you find supportive don't have to make sense to anyone else. The third strategy that I used um, with my second birth was, I think I was able to access this because I had done a lot of work around the anxiety and the trauma stuff, mm-hmm. but um, coming at those experiences from a place of curiosity mm-hmm. rather than. Control. So I would, you know, like I had my idea of what, like how I wanted things to go or like, ideally what they would be, but I felt like it was more important it more important to embody that curiosity. like I wonder I wonder how, what this birth is gonna be like. I wonder what mode of like feeding is gonna work best for my my son and for me, you know because when i when I came in with uh, I would say more rigid expectations and I think probably a need for control because of what I was going through, birth doesn't go like that. Postpartum doesn't go like that. yeah, so um it felt like a smoother transition than I was able to adjust a little bit easier um, when I came at it from a place of curiosity rather Mm -hmm. than, or the need to control.
0: Yeah. I mean that these are spot on. So important. I think especially for high sensitivity, but really for anybody to have the flexibility with yourself that you, that you're not going to know and um, ahead of time necessarily what you need or what baby needs. It just, It helps so much to avoid feelings of failure uh, when you don't or can't meet those initial expectations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so much good in there. Those are really great points for um, advocating for yourself and feeling more empowered in the process as well. Yeah. Well, uh, on those notes that are really, really, really important, I want to thank you for bringing all of this. I I know there are a lot of parents who will benefit from this conversation and from your really helpful insights to how sensitivity can impact someone and furthermore, how trauma in its various forms can impact someone and just really uh, how to have that compassion for yourself. I really hear that in how you've learned to cope and manage in your own journey. um, And I hear that coming through for other parents as well. So thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity to share my story.
0: Please do get connected with Megan at Megan Mons Counseling on Instagram. For those of you who are listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, do go to the rating section and give us a star or five. Uh, Let us know how much you appreciate this podcast and what it has done for you or somebody that you love. These ratings really help us be able to be found by others who are looking for resources. And once again, thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com.